Well, before we get into our sermon today, I need to see where our congregation stands on a very hot topic, which is, do you start decorating for Christmas and celebrating Christmas through Christmas songs and all that sort of stuff being played before or after Thanksgiving? And that, that is split churches before, if you don't know. Um, there's the post-Christmas after Thanksgiving church down the road. Um, so if you are someone who had decorated their house, had been playing Christmas songs before Thanksgiving, raise your hand. Okay, we got a couple, a couple of hardcore Christmas people out there. Um, if you are someone who is, let's just commit to Thanksgiving, you know, have the Thanksgiving decor around the house. Uh, is there a Thanksgiving movie? Maybe plane trains and automobiles. Maybe that's a Thanksgiving movie. You know, watch those movies. And then after Thanksgiving, you know, then it's, then it's Christmas time. How many people here are committed to, oh wow, a lot more, okay. Um, well, uh, whether you are post or pre-celebrating Christmas before Thanksgiving, uh, it is officially Christmas season. It's Christmas time uh, after Thanksgiving, and uh, it's just a great time uh, of the year. Uh, we started decorating our house yesterday. Uh, just love seeing all the Christmas stuff going up. Our tree is up now. Started playing Christmas music at the house, and it's just a great, great time of year. And so, because we have now officially moved into the Christmas season, we are starting a brand new series leading up to Christmas Day uh, called The Names of Jesus. The Names of Jesus. And uh, we did this fun uh, Family Feud. Any Family Feud fans out there? Uh, Family Feud theme with it, uh, just for fun, to be creative, keep it fresh out there with uh, our. Uh, series and uh, keeping it interesting. So over the next four weeks as we approach Christmas Day, uh, we're going to be walking through uh, four names of Jesus uh, given to him in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, and they are Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Our goal of this series is that we come to better know Jesus in the fullness of his names. That we'd come to know Jesus and know him better through the fullness of his names. Now today's message, we will have three movements. Three movements in today's message. The first movement, uh, we'll be looking at the historical context of the passage. Uh, as I'm, I'm the one that uh, pulled the uh, short straw. And uh, the first person of the sermon series usually has to build out the context of the passage and, and what we're all looking at. So we'll be diving deep into that, putting our uh, thinking caps on for uh, the first movement of our uh, sermon today. The second movement, we'll be looking more closely at how this title, Wonderful Counselor, applies to Jesus. And then third movement will be uh, how Jesus being our Wonderful Counselor is impactful to our lives. Okay, so three movements. Historical context, how the name Wonderful Counselor applies to Jesus, and then how Jesus, being our wonderful counselor, impacts our lives. And so if you have your Bibles, you can, uh, you can open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. If you have your phones, your iPads, you can open up your Bible apps to those things, or just Google uh, Isaiah chapter 9, and that will bring up the text for you there if you have your phone or electronic device. So while you're turning to that passage, I'll also turn to my Bible up here. While you're turning to that passage, let's start the first movement of this morning's sermon, which is setting the context for this passage and for Isaiah's ministry. 
Uh, and so uh, let's uh, back up a little bit here and just start understanding what was happening in the world at the time Isaiah was prophesying. Isaiah was prophesying in around 740 BC. That means 740 years before the birth of Jesus. Now, what was happening in the world 740 years before Jesus came? Uh, well, uh, it was the 10th annual Olympic Games. Pretty cool. So it was 10th year of Olympic Games happening, probably somewhere up, up there in Greece. Uh, the origins of Rome were just starting. Um, so the very beginnings of Roman culture, of their government, of just their story and narrative were just starting in 740 BC. And uh, over in the ancient Near East, Syria was a major player in the game over there. They were the ones kind of moving their weight around in the ancient Near East, and they were starting to conquer different territories in the ancient Near East through conquest. So they had a massive army, and they were starting to expand their kingdom uh, in the ancient Near East. And they were starting to push down south to Israel, God's people. And so that leads us to what was the context of God's people at the time, 740 years before Jesus. Well, uh, by this time, there had been somewhat of a split of God's people, somewhat of a civil war several years prior to this happening, uh, this year, 740, where, uh, as you see up there on the screen, there was a northern kingdom, which was Israel, and a southern kingdom, which was Judah. This was not unlike our civil war. Now it's for different reasons, but there was a north and a south, and they didn't like each other. They had different uh, ideas of different things and different, uh, slightly different value sets, and so they started to clash a little bit, and eventually uh, they, they didn't uh, reconcile. Uh, they ended up splitting, and uh, they had a southern kingdom, Judah, which had Jerusalem in it, and then they had the northern kingdom, Israel, ruled by two different kings. Uh, as the years went on, different kings would rule those different areas in God's people's history. So that's a little bit of the context, uh, definitely not the best part of Israel's history. Uh, spiritually, it was a dark time for God's people, both in Israel and in Judah. God's people as a whole, it was not a good time in 740. It was a spiritually dark time. Both Israel had been confused for many years prior to 740, uh, the spiritual identity. Uh, a lot of them were starting to move away from God and had already been way off of the mark. Judah was now starting to move that direction too. Uh, they were spiritually in a very dark place, uh, started worshiping idols, had kind of started to give up on these promises of God that they had received. Politically, it was a dark time also. Uh, King Ahaz... Uh, was their king at the time, and we're going to dive a little deeper into King Ahaz. King Ahaz was the king at the time, and he was not a good king. Uh, he was not someone that led his people well. Uh, he did not worship God. Uh, he led his people to idolatry and away from God. And uh, he had a very tricky situation that he was facing. Uh, he had the Assyrian uh, government and Syrian army starting to press down south. And both Israel and Judah were starting to realize this. Uh, and they saw the writing on the wall. Like, okay, uh, what are we going to do here? And so Ahaz had two decisions. It was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. So King Ahaz, he could have formed a coalition with Assyria. 
And that would have been kind of, you know, buddy-buddy with the powers that be and try to get on their good side in hopes that uh, by joining them and defeating Israel and, or, yeah, defeating Israel, and right above Israel there's another little territory um, called Syria, not Assyria, but just Syria, and uh, Assyria was going to come down south, take out Syria and Israel, and so Judah was going to kind of slide in with Assyria and be like, hey, we'll come from the south, you come from the north, we'll take them over, you know, we can do this. Now, Judah's a small fish in a very big pond. So the, the backside of that is, one, you'd definitely uh, continue to hurt relationships with Israel, if you buddied up with their enemy, and uh, Assyria decided to then, like, after they won that war, to say, well, we're going to continue south and take over you, Judah. Well, then you just hurt relationships to the north, and you're going to get conquered anyway. The other situation Ahaz was under was you could form a coalition with Israel and Syria and try to buddy up and do three little territories against the massive Assyria and try to stop them by joining all three forces against Assyria. Now, the risk with that is, yes, you can kind of help those relationships with, with Israel, but the chances are still pretty slim you're going to beat Assyria. And if you would then form coalition with those uh, smaller territories, uh, you are putting yourself in the bullseye of Assyria, and you are setting yourself square up against, saying, we don't like you, Assyria. Uh, we're going to fight against you. And so there would be no mercy. There would be none at all. And Assyria was known for its brutal tactics and warfare. And so uh, they would be setting themselves up against the biggest power in the world at that time, Slightly scary to do, uh, and probably because Ahaz was so far away from God, probably caused Ahaz a lot of sleepless nights. Uh, he was probably feeling a lot of weight of that decision and probably only saw two ways to go. He probably saw, well, I only have this decision over here to form, to form alliances with Assyria, or I have this decision over here with Syria and Israel. And because he was so far away from God, he was feeling the weight of his decision with this. And you could probably imagine he had a lot of different voices coming at him. Uh, he had counselors, uh, advisors, that would counsel him in decision making. They would kind of say, hey, this is kind of what we're seeing, kind of like a presidential advisor, right? So they're kind of a, someone who is uh, very well versed in a topic. Uh, expert, there you go, expert on that topic and would advise you know, the president on what to do. So he had his advisors, his counselors of what to do. Okay, this is how many they have in the army. They won this battle. This is where they're at. Do you think you can man a battle type of thing? And so feeling extreme weight, extreme pressure of this situation. What am I to do for this people? Right? Now, have you ever been there? Have you ever felt this weight and have you ever felt like all the weight of this decision uh, or these decisions were placed in front of you and you felt like it was all on you to make that decision? Uh, that you were kind of between a rock and a hard place, that you were listening to a lot of different voices. And if you were honest with yourself, the Sunday school answer of trusting God was probably down there and you're like, yeah, we all know we should trust God, but you know, really I'm going to listen to my mom or my dad. Really I'm going to listen to uh, my good friend. Really I'm going to listen to 
you know, this pastor I really trust. Really, I'm going to listen to all these other people and try to, try to get all these different opinions on what you should do. You'd be connecting with Ahaz. <laughs> Ahaz uh, very much is in that situation. And this is the situation that Isaiah steps into as a prophet. Now, as a prophet, you're someone who prophesies about the future, but also a big part of your ministry as a prophet was to speak truth, to speak God's truth boldly, to proclaim the truth of God in a culture at that time that was far away from God, was not listening to God anymore. And so Isaiah, in 740 B.C., steps into this context and is going to try to bring God's people back. And throughout his whole ministry, he tries that. He's proclaiming God's truth. He's reminding people of God's promises and not only reminding them, but pointing them to a future that God is going to provide for his people. Provide in a way that isn't just through material items or security or peace, but through a person, through a new king. Someone that is not like King Ahaz. Someone that would be able to govern and counsel and guide his people in a way that would bring uh, wonder. It would bring amazement. It would bring hope to people, to see a king who would be able to govern in a way that they are looking at Ahaz and saying, wow, this is, this is a mess. Right? <laughs> this is not going well. And so in this context, Isaiah steps into, and we're going to move into our second movement of our sermon today, which is looking at this name, Wonderful Counselor, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7. We're going to reread it just to remind ourselves of this passage. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulder, on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his governance and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from the time from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So, we're going to be focusing on that first name, Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. And we're going to break this word, or this title, down into its two different words that it uses, Wonderful and Counselor. So, in our culture, right, uh, Wonderful has a very, like, you know, bright, uplifting, somewhat light connotation to it, uh, wow, that was like a wonderful experience. Wow, she's a wonderful person. We just kind of say that, and it kind of means like it was nice, it was good, um, I really enjoyed that. It was a wonderful moment. But in Old Testament uh, culture, in Old Testament writings, uh, wonderful means so much more than that. Uh, It's not just used as something that is to describe a good experience, but really it means, to the better sense of it, full of wonder. Full of wonder. Uh, Something that would bring this moment or uh, this experience of, wow, right? Like, wow, that is, that's amazing, right? When something like happens outside of your expectation of what you are expecting, right? You'd be like, wow, that is like way better than I ever thought 
would happen. Wow, that's so different than how I would see this situation, right? Wow, I only thought there were like these two ways to go and wow, there's this other option I never even considered, right? Or maybe you look at a sunset or something beautiful in nature and you're just like, wow, it is an all-filled, wonderful moment, full of wonder, right? We'll be experiencing that a lot with Christmas with our kids, right? You'll see that wonder, wow, like, you know, when they see those gifts and those lights and all those different things that come along with Christmas, right? Those innocent moments we see with children uh, where they're just full of wonder. That is really more of the sense of this word. This Hebrew word is used in the song after they come through uh, the parting of the Red Sea, right? When the Egyptian, when the Jewish people escape the Egyptians and they go through the Red Sea and they get to the other side, this Hebrew word in a song is used. Oh, that was a wonderful thing that God did. It fooled us with wonder. Right? It was outside of anything we could ever think would happen. Right? We, we, we were maybe thinking boats to get across the, the Red Sea. Oh, God split the Red Sea, and we walked through it, and walking through the Red Sea full of wonder. Right, have you ever had those moments where you were full of wonder? Wow. This was something way better than I could imagine. That is more of that sense, and that's how it's describing this counselor. Now, another correction and just kind of deepening of our understanding of this word counselor. In modern day, we think counselor as some sort of psychologist who'd go to with your personal issues and you know talk through them with you, and they would help you process, and uh, then you know you they're someone who helps you process issues right, of your life. Um, that's not really the sense that we have in the Hebrew uh, in the Old Testament here. Uh, that profession didn't really even exist back then uh, with modern day psychology that we have now. A counselor, and the, the word that's often used, uh, counselor, is often used in the sense of royalty. Right, you often see this word used around kings around the royal throne, around royal offices, just in, in a royal setting, like a, uh, a palace or anything like that. Stuff like that, you'll see this word pop up. Uh, often because it's used in the Old Testament of a king giving counsel to his people. Right, is one way that's used. A king gives counsel to his people on a direction it should go. Right? Um, so that's one way that's used. Another sense that we get of this word is uh, like an advisor to the king in Israel, right? God's people. So uh, someone that would counsel the king and tell them, hey, this is, this is kind of how I'm seeing it. So maybe you, know, maybe you should go this direction with that. So we often see this word uh, in the Old Testament used in the context of kings leading, guiding, counseling their people, offering advice Right? And someone also then guiding uh, and counseling the king to do something, right? advising. And we've used this before with the presidential advisors that he has, right? a counselor, someone that would offer guidance. And that word guidance is really, I think, the bridge that we can use to help understand this word. Um, whether you are a modern-day counselor um, or you are a king or someone advising the king, um, you're someone who's trying to guide someone. Right, you are guiding that person, or trying to guide that person, or people group, right, if you were a king back in the Old Testament, uh, you were trying to guide people in a certain direction. And so that's really a better understanding of this 
term. We may read this and say, okay, like a wonderful counselor, he's a, a great psychologist, right? Um, you can go there. I mean, it's not wrong. It's just this is probably a more accurate uh, representation of uh, the Hebrew context and the Old Testament context um, that uh, this wonderful counselor is someone who will guide us in a way that would exceed our expectations. I think that sums up this word, this title. Right? Someone that would guide us in a way that would you know, exceed our expectations, that we would be guided in a way that would go, wow, that like just blows my categories of what I thought should be. Or that like just completely is outside of an option that I thought I could go. And so where is this counselor? Who is this counselor who would come that Isaiah is prophesying about 740 years prior to that one coming? Right? The people of that time, that would bring hope. Like they're looking at Ahaz, they're looking at the situation with the Assyrians, and they're thinking, we need that guy now. <laughs> You know, we need something like, we're just seeing these two options. Form alliance with Assyria. Form alliance with uh, Israel and Syria above us. This is kind of it. They're both really bad decisions. It's not really going to work out either way, probably. And it doesn't. Uh, Judah, uh, King Ahaz, essentially goes with uh, forming alliance with Assyria. So he goes against trying to form alliance with Israel to the north. Goes with Assyria. As he sees it as his best option. And eventually Assyria comes down, wipes out uh, Syria and Israel, and eventually then turns on Judah. I mean, you kind of see the hand right on the wall. Um, that, that was definitely going to happen. And so no matter which way it has went, and it was going to not go well, but Isaiah was trying to help Ahaz and the people of God have hope and remind them there, there is this third way. Right? This third way is to, is to trust God. Trust God. There is someone going to come that, was, that would bring guidance in a way that would exceed our expectations and be able to guide us well as a people and individually. And that person is Jesus. And this is our third movement, right? Third movement is looking at how this applies to Jesus and applies to us. And so, Jesus came 740 years later. And he is the one that we know now as Wonderful Counselor. It is a name given to him and can only be given to him. Because he came as 100% God, 100% man, down to earth, and showed us a way that was outside of our categories. And he showed God's people a way that were outside their categories of seeing things and how to lead, how to guide people, and how to be guided. Because at that time, uh, the people of God uh, had very kind of a similar situation to the people of God 740 years prior to Jesus' coming. Uh, it wasn't the Assyrians breathing down their neck. It was the Romans. Uh, the Romans now had 740 years to build up their empire, and uh, we're now starting to uh, really in, uh, 
have their influence on the world. And they were starting to feel it over in Israel and in Jerusalem. So much so that the Romans were living there. Uh, They were starting to uh, really be a presence there. Uh, They were taxing the people. Uh, They pretty much were in that culture and influencing culture in a way uh, that you could say were starting to take over. And in 70 years after AD 70, uh, 70 AD, the temple was destroyed by the Romans. So one time Jesus comes and when he uh, is crucified uh, around 33 AD, again, the writing's kind of on the wall. Romans are coming in, they're taking over. Right? And so how do you navigate this pressure as a people? Um, how, how, where are God's people in all this? And so the Jewish people, uh, God's people at the time, they, some of them didn't really like the Romans. Actually, a lot of them probably didn't really like the Romans. They saw them as encroaching in on their way of life, their religion, influencing their religion in a bad way, uh, influencing their life in a bad way. Saw them as Gentiles, uh, bad influences. Then you had uh, the Jewish people, right? The religious structure. You had a lot of different sects of Judaism. Right? You had Pharisees, Sadducees, you had Essenes, you had all sorts of Jewish people had their own little spin on God's word, and they formed whole doctrines around these things. And today we'd call them denominations. Um, So they had different denominations of Judaism back then. And so that was another way that God's people were spiritually just like not good. They were dispersed. They were confused spiritually. And so Jesus enters this setting, right, where the people of God were feeling political pressure from the Romans. Pilate was set up a shop there, right in his backyard, Pontius Pilate. Um, they were feeling the cultural pressure of the Romans. They were feeling religious pressure of what to do, how do you respond to that. They had splitting and denominations of Jews that had different beliefs on different texts and different doctrines and all that sort of stuff. So Jesus comes into this. And he is going to guide people in a way that exceeded their expectations. That would show them a way of understanding God, understanding personal relations that exceeded their expectations. That showed them a different way. A way where they may see no way. He carved that way out. And we see this multiple times over and over again in Jesus' ministry. We see in Luke 7 that Jesus healed a Roman centurion's servant. So let's just pause on that for a second. A Roman centurion, they were, most of them were probably involved in crucifixions. Uh, Many people were crucified uh, before Jesus and after Jesus. It was a common practice of execution among the Roman people. And would eventually crucify Jesus Right? So the, the cross and all the crosses that existed uh, through the crucifixions of different people was essentially a sign to everyone around that says, Romans are in charge, we're here, we're top dog, and if you get in our way, we will crucify you in a brutal way. Right? And they approved of this. And then Jesus comes in and shows compassion to someone who is daily crucifying other people daily crucifying other Jewish people. He heals his son 
who would, you know, probably after healing him, may have gone uh, and overseen another crucifixion. That's not a category in our modern world that we would like, yeah, that's what we should do. Right? Our enemies, our political enemies, our political rivals, our economic rivals, our religious rivals, we would say they're our enemy. Right? We speak bad about them. Right? It's either this way or that way. It's us or them. There's two categories. And Jesus says, whoa, whoa, hold on. There's another way. There's a third way of understanding this. And so he's trying to counsel them, be this wonderful counselor that would show them and blow their expectations of what it means to be the people of God. Jesus then, another time in his ministry, another way he is this wonderful counselor, he guides these people in a way that blows their expectations, is he has a drink of water with a Samaritan woman. Now, if you are somewhat familiar with the Samaritans, right, the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along. They were probably the two biggest denominational rivals. Right? Um, the Jews saw the Samaritans as somewhat like a half-breed of their religious structure. They were kind of Jews. They had other like, weird beliefs. They didn't really like them. Uh, they didn't really like, you know, hang out with them. They disdained them. They didn't, really, you know, they didn't have good feelings towards them. Jesus goes up into the territory where the Samaritans are and then has a drink of water with a Samaritan, but not only a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman. And women at that time were second-class citizens. They were given no value, little or no value in that society. And Jesus goes into that territory, into what would be called, probably be called somewhat enemy territory, and has a glass of water with her and shares hope with her and lets her know that he is the Messiah, which brings her hope and brings that whole town to come to know Jesus. No other Jew is doing that at the time. Let's put it that way. No other Jew is saying, yeah, I'm going to take my day off on a Saturday, head up into Samaria and like, hang out with someone that like, you know, doesn't have any sort of voice in the court, doesn't have any sort of voting, doesn't have any sort of like, rights at all. Like, yeah, I'm going to say someone that is like, useless or not seen as any value to society. That's what I'm going to do on my day off. Right? Uh, I don't think Jews were thinking that at the time. Jesus carves this way. He, he makes this path for them, people to follow after and say, this is, this is guidance on life, right? That we are to follow in that way, that we are to uh, maybe spend time and show love and compassion to those in our society that maybe are on the lower end or perceived lower end of society. And lastly, we see that Jesus points the different Jewish denominations or sects or groups, however you want to put it, he points them to a higher view of God. They were so concerned with their different groups, right? And Jesus, in John 3, tells Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee, uh, a higher-up Pharisee, tells Nicodemus, in the dead of night, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? <laughs> born again? Like... Jesus, like, we're way more concerned with the Sabbath, like, and, and we're way more concerned with these religious rights than the Romans. Like, the Romans are the real enemy, right? Don't you understand? The real enemy is the Romans. This political enemy is the Romans. 
And, and Jesus' point is saying, no, the real enemy is Satan trying to deceive you. The real enemy is thinking that this is the only world. The kingdoms of this world are where you have to win the battles. And that this life is the only life there is. And he says, you have to be born again. And that blew the expectation of Nicodemus as a religious leader. And opened his mind to start thinking differently about God. And about what it is to have a relationship with God. That's not about following rules per se, as the end all be all. But that there's this new creation that starts when you start a relationship with God. And Jesus is the ultimate wonderful counselor, when he stands in front of Pilate, right, he's feeling that pressure, right, just like King Ahaz did years and years prior, right, this or that, you had the political pressure coming down from Pontius Pilate, and he's saying, look, you got the Jews over here saying one thing, you have, I can free you, you can do this, it's, it's this or that, right, and Jesus stands squarely in the middle, does not waver, and says, my calling, my life, and the life of those who follow me are a higher plane of existence and understanding human relations, understanding a relationship with God, understanding purpose in this world than the kingdoms of this world and the pressures that we feel in this world. And he stood his ground squarely in the plan of God and went to the cross and didn't waver in that moment where he could have sought an out from that. And he went to the cross and died for our sins and showed us and showed people what it is to be saved, to be forgiven. And through the cross and resurrection, he showed, him, he showed, us, and he showed us he is the most wonderful counselor because before that and even after now, we believe we are saved through being a good person. Every other religious system prior to that, every other religious ideas and um, groups and major religions of the world, somehow, some way, work themselves out to say you are saved through being a good person. That if by the end of your life you did more good than bad, you're saved. It's about being good. And Jesus paves this new way. And he says, I am the good person. And I am going to take your place on the cross. Because we deserve death. And in sight of your sin, in, in sight of who you are as a sinner, as someone far away from God, as someone who would think that I have to get into God's good graces by doing good, by going to church, by praying a lot, by giving more, by doing all these things, Jesus stands in our sinful place on the cross and forgives us of our sins so that we can then receive the righteousness of God through his grace. And he opens up this way of understanding relationship with God that I am already in good standing with God when I come to place my faith in Jesus. And that everything after that moment, I don't lose my standing. That after that moment of placing my faith in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of my sins and starting that new life, being born again into being a child of God, into being part of his family, that my identity is no more 
wrapped up in what do I do to earn righteousness or good standing with God, but that I'm already seen that, uh, seen that way to God, and that's unshakable. It's hard for us to like, comprehend that. We wrestle with that. Subconsciously, we, we express in ways that, oh, I didn't go to church today, so, oh man, now I'm a good, bad person, or, or I did these bad things, so now I have to make up for something. We are always 100% seen as 100% righteous towards God because we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. And in that way, he's a wonderful counselor to all people and humankind because he wants to guide us to that path of salvation. And so today, if you are someone who's already placed their faith in Christ, and you're sitting here today and you're rejoicing in that fact, yes, I have placed my faith in Christ and I just take joy in the fact that I have this wonderful counselor who counseled me and guided me towards this path of grace, being saved by faith through grace, not of our good works, so that we may boast. I want to uh, talk to you for a second, uh, those who, are, uh, who have placed their faith in Christ, um, just to remind us and challenge you. Um, if you've already had that relationship with Christ, do you truly believe he is your wonderful counselor? And if you do, uh, if you do believe that mentally, right, do you uh, emotionally listen to him first? Is he the first voice you're seeking? Like, is that your gut response? Is, is that what you're, you are functionally doing in your life? Right? When you have a hard decision, uh, when you're seeking to discernment, is Jesus the first voice you go to? Is he the first voice you desire to listen to? Will you wait to hear his voice before you go to other voices? If you truly believe he is the wonderful counselor, and he is the one guy in your life, do you do that in practicality? And if you do, the next step is, do you trust his guidance? Let's say you do listen to his voice first. He is the first priority in discerning a decision. And you do wait for him, and then you hear from him through his word, through prayer, through uh, his people, and you hear from him speaking to you on what you are to do. Do you then trust? Do you say, okay, I'm going to follow in obedience in what Jesus is calling me to do? in this decision. And then lastly, uh, will we grow in our love and sense of all of him? Right? So as you trust him, as you follow him, maybe you look back at your past, you say, wow, like, I do see God's guidance. I do see Jesus leading me to salvation. I do see that he has guided me in my path, and it can only be him. Right? That should build up a sense of awe and wonder in our life to reinforce this idea that he is the wonderful counselor. So those are for those who have placed their faith in Christ and are following him, striving to follow him. For those of you who are maybe questioning, who are maybe uh, someone who uh, doesn't believe in Jesus or, or wrestling through uh, what it means to be saved by grace, that, that Jesus would accept me if I believe in him solely through that. Right, I don't have to... I don't have to change, I don't, I don't have to do these good things for him to love me. All I have to do is believe in him and his death on the cross and resurrection. If you're here this morning, maybe you're feeling that weight. You're far from God and you feel this weight of pressure on life. 
You feel it's all on your shoulders to make these decisions. It's on your shoulders to provide for your family. It's on your shoulders to provide wisdom and counsel to other people. If you feel it's all on your shoulders, right, that is because you are far from God. And I would invite you to place your faith in Jesus. To look towards the wonderful counselor. The one whose burden is light. The one that you could go to and place that weight of burden, of stress, of worry, of what you are to do, and to place that in his hands. I would encourage you to do that today. And ultimately, I would encourage those who aren't believers, who aren't those uh, who are following Jesus or wrestling through the belief in God, um, to look to Jesus. Um, Read through the Gospels. Get to know him more. He is different than any other sort of religious teacher you've heard, self-help book or article you've read. Um, He offers wisdom and guidance and will show you a way that is above any other human understanding. And hopefully it is water to your uh, soul when you read about him and get to know him. So to sum up our sermon this morning, uh, we looked at the historical context of Isaiah and what was going on in the people of God at that time. There was a split, Judah and Israel. Assyria was coming down. There was this pressure that uh, Ahaz was feeling. Isaiah spoke into that. He said, there is this wonderful counselor. We were in a mess right there at 740 BC, but there's this wonderful counselor who is to come. That person is Jesus. We looked into what wonderful and counselor actually mean. It is this sense of full of wonder and this counsel, this counsel in life uh, that is more than just a psychologist. It's someone that guides us in our life. And we saw how Jesus did that in his ministry over and over again. We just looked at a few examples of how he continued to exceed the expectations of people at the time and guided his people in a way that was above human understanding and offered what we may say the third way, another way of understanding when we're caught in between these two or only see the worldly perspectives. He offered one that came from God. And then last we saw how that applied to us. As Christians, we need to see him as our wonderful counselor. And if we do, are we seeking his voice first? And if we are, are we going to follow what he says and trust him? And hopefully all of that is helping us grow in our sense of wonder and awe for who he is as a counselor. And if you aren't here today, if you are here today and you don't know Jesus, we offer an encouragement for you to place your faith in Jesus, make that next step in coming closer to knowing our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. We hope that this series is going to be beneficial to you. We invite you to invite some friends uh, to come as we continue to get to know Jesus in the fullness of his names in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6.